This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Sleep, eh? What a nightmare! <laughs> it doesn't help that we are constantly bombarded with messages about the catastrophic implications of bad sleep. The pressure! It's enough to banish sleep for good. So we're delighted that this week the podcast is calmly sponsored by Oto's CBD Sleep Drops. Now, I've been taking them every night and I've found that I'm definitely calmer around sleep. When that loop of shame slash stress starts playing in my head, I could just wave it off and, well, turn over. One of the most common misconceptions about CBD is that it makes you drowsy, when actually CBD optimises your natural sleep-wake cycle. It helps the body effectively process stress and anxiety, and Oto is the UK's most awarded CBD brand. So why not give yourself the best possible chance of a good night's sleep with Oto's Sleep Drops? There's 20% off for listeners with the code MIDALT20, and we've put the link in the show notes, but you can find them at otocbd.com. That's otocbd.com. Hi everyone, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but my social anxiety and um, journey towards being a social pariah uh, gains momentum even <laughs> as we speak. I went to a party on Friday night and I've been looking forward to it for months. Like it had fun, it had trouble written all over no, it. No, but I listeners, was... she really was actually looking, and anybody who regularly listens knows that Annabelle looks forward to nothing. Perma-dread, <laughs> yeah. Constant state of unnamed dread, which just lifted at the prospect of this you know, what was going to be sensational house party. Someone I really loved. It was going to be amazing. I walked in. I knew it was going to go wrong from the moment I walked in and I couldn't deal with anybody. I couldn't, it was, it was, it was different from my previous sort of just post lockdown habit of walking away from people mid conversation. So that was quite fun. This, I couldn't even have the conversation. And I knew that I was being, to use an old fashioned party word, ghastly. I knew I was being ghastly. I saw people that I really didn't like. I saw some people that I really did like. And I couldn't stop and I couldn't settle and I couldn't stop moving. It's like I was on wheels. And I became filled with fear and resentment and a lot of alcohol because I thought that would work. I mean, like <laughs> seven pink drinks. The experience. The lubrication. I thought, you know, I will take off at some point. I just took off home. <laughs> Watch This Is Us for two hours, um, which I find depressing at the best of times. God, it's depressing. And the theme music is intolerably depressing. And then was filled with, you know, shame the next day for, not, for somehow having let this party pass me by, just as I suddenly felt with all my regret that I let life pass me by. How are you? Um, maybe it was just a test party and that you won't get party remorse next time. 
It was a test that I failed. Okay, all right, sorry. Yes, okay, so I, hi, I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine, but I, uh, my roots are, are showing, you know, I've got... Do a, you mean hair or grey. do you mean personality? Do you mean pedigree? <laughs> <laughs> I mean hair. My greys are showing and I looked at myself in the mirror this morning and I thought, I'm not sure I can be bothered to deal with it. And I wonder if we're entering a new phase. Well, are we letting ourselves go? Are we happily or rather... Willfully. Yeah, exactly. Willfully letting ourselves go. Are we at that point which everybody says you reach at some point? Which you think will never happen to you. Because you think, I will always care. Where you go, oh man, I don't think I care. Nah, fuck it. So I don't know. Am I actively letting myself go? I do not know. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because... Because... Because our next guest is a friend of the podcast and needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway because I love her so much. Daisy Buchanan is a writer, a journalist and a podcaster. She's an authority on books and sex. In fact, she writes brilliantly sexy books and her latest is called Careering, about magazines, millennials and masturbation, sometimes at the same time. But for today, she's Dr Daisy, here to give us her book prescriptions for all our emotional ailments, because my God, do we need it. So, Dr Daisy, how are you? Hello, Emily. Hello, Annabelle. I'm absolutely fine, only work is quite stressful at the moment and I'm dealing with it in the worst way possible by doing some mindfulness and I've only become mindful of the fact that I keep grinding and clenching my teeth <laughs> and I do the body scan, the face scan and be like, oh, what's that muscle in my jaw? And I'm just going around burring my teeth with like at everyone like a Beano character, you know, like if Dennis the Menace's dad is angry with him, I'm like, Argh. you're gnashing. And I'm gnashing. You're gnasher. I'm Nasha. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll grind them down to little stumps. <laughs> and I'll have to have veneers, which I have a sort of horrified fascination with. I mean, don't we all? How white is too white? How perfect is too perfect? Do they literally just like grind down all your teeth and then stick new things on top? Well, I don't think they grind them down lengthways. Okay. I think they grind them almost to little points, almost little, little shards. And then they stick a veneer on. I find the idea that actually you're just left with little shards. So if the veneer somehow fell off, that would be that would be the truth about you. I know, Quite it's proper like Tim Burton nightmare, isn't it? It is alarming. Yeah. I think I read someone wrote a column about that, about being at lunch with someone where that happened in this weird yellow stump. Just appeared. <laughs> now, oh, do you excuse me? And picked their tooth out of their soup. I die. <laughs> Oh, but you you would feel like you're sort of the real you, your soul was exposed. Also, you? I think, I don't know, I mean, but I think there's something very sort of sensitive about women and teeth, isn't it? Like the toothless crone kind of vision that we have of ourselves. And also sort of middle-aged snaggle tooth, when they all start going all wibbly-wobbly mm. and wonky. Yeah. You've, got your, just, finger, you've got your my, finger in your mouth I'm at like, the moment. Yes, exactly. I know, salads, seedy breads, any kind of like KLE situation is not my friend. The other day I had seaweed at a Chinese restaurant and it was literally like, it was like a horror show. <laughs> like practically people screaming as, as I smiled. As compulsively, people-pleasingly <laughs> smiled at everyone who crossed your path. Exactly. Don't smile oh, at the moment. It's such double standards though, isn't it? Because if you're two and you do it, you're adorable. Yes. And then when you're 42, everyone's like, oh, excuse me. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That woman needs help yes she has let herself go anyway we need help daisy we need help from you because so many books so little mental health (laughs) (laughs) and where do we begin because also i find when i'm in a period of not reading it's another stick to beat myself with why aren't i reading why am i only watching shit telly and staring at the wall um i need 
to, I need to re-enter that virtuous cycle of reading where half of the work can be done with the words and the other half can be done with my own imagination because that sort of activates us, doesn't yes. it? It's so nourishing and I understand entirely and I talk to a lot of people who just say, oh, I really ought to read, but I don't really read and they feel a bit ashamed of it. And it's like, it's okay, you're not homework. It's not homework. We're all grown-ups. It should be something that only ever brings you pleasure and joy. This leads me quite nicely to a, a few books. I reread all the time. If I wake up at four o'clock in the morning um, and I can't sleep, I was a holdout forever. I got a Kindle for Christmas to enable me. And I read in the dark. And I normally read Marion Keys or Julie Cooper or a book I've read 9,000 times and a book I practically know off by heart. And that's fine. And I am taking so much from that book. And it is soothing me. And that's reading. And when you're feeling brave and bold, then you can go into the book a long list or whatever you fancy. But but in, but in the meantime, you can just revisit old friends. And the good thing about for anxious people about reading books they've read before or watching films they've seen before is, you know, there are no surprises in the yes. post. And sometimes you're not in the market for a surprise. That is absolutely it. I like reading books with characters I really love and care about. And if they're experiencing any kind of dread, even though I know chances are it's probably going to be OK, I think, oh, not today. And I, I decided have... in my old age, and I'm no longer ashamed to say this, with books and telly and films, I mean, I rarely have the patience to sit through a film, but still, I am only in the market for happy endings. Yes, yeah, sad endings aren't good. But also what I love about rereading is that I still get anxious like when Lizzie in Prime Prejudice gets the letter from Darcy explaining himself mm. for the whole thing. And I'm pacing up and down with her. And you in the, the, she's thinking, oh my God, I've really fucked up. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you've really fucked up. And then you're Again. thinking, oh my God, all the times I've really fucked up. It's an amazing moment. It, it, just, I, it still is a surprise when the letter's thrust into her hands and she's in the avenue going backwards and forwards. And I, I don't know. Yes, very familiar. I love the fact that you can still, like, engage, immerse fully. But... I know what you mean. I read the Keslet Chronicles in lockdown, which I think is a long-term recommendation of Annabelle's that I finally, finally got to, knowing I'd love them. How and was it? I adored it. Yes. I adored them all. But you're waiting with them for the outbreak of war. I am bright enough and aware enough of the world to know the Second World War did happen, but <laughs> I was still reading going, is there going to be a war? <laughs> What's your first book, Dr. Daisy? So I am going to talk about a book for when you need to be soothed, unraveled and made sense of. And what I love so much about this book is it's written by one of the smartest writers alive. But I think her gift is that she makes you feel as smart as she is. And it's lovely essays, so it feels really accessible. And you don't feel this daunting kind of, gosh, this is a big old book. You can pick it up at your leisure, as I have started saying that for a joke, and now I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> like microwave. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like microwave. So it's These Precious Days by Anne Patchett. Um, it came Anne Patchett. out a couple of months ago last year, and I'm sure lots of people have read and loved her novels, which are wonderful. The most famous essay in the book is about how through various quirks she became quite friendly with Tom Hanks and then became very close with his assistant Suki and it so happened that Suki had I think it might have been breast cancer and where they were doing a you know like a, a trial I think of what could treat her just happened to be in Nashville very close to where Anne Patchett was so Suki sort of moved in with them during lockdown 
but it's a book about different kinds of love. There's another essay I adore where she talks about how her husband is um, an amateur pilot and loves flying and is always flying these like terrifying <laughs> matchbox with a propeller on the end sort of planes and what it is to love someone where you're constantly terrified they're going to fall out of the sky, literally. I think that that's love. Yes. Isn't that really just, you know, just sort of extrapolating, sort of making explicit what we all feel when we love someone very deeply? Mm. What happens if you fall out of the fucking sky? So she's a very generous writer, Anne Patrick, yes. isn't she? Yes, you feel really, really included. And it's just that, that you can imagine, you know, sometimes you are just feeling at a point of shrieking collapse and you want to go to someone and say, oh my God, it's all going wrong. And people have lives and things to do. And on WhatsApp, sometimes, you know, people have to either get on with their own things or you do sound so alarmed about what happened. And Anne Patchett is really that lovely, gorgeous, calming. What you're going through is universal. It's unique to you. This is what's unique for me. There is a way out. This is all a rich part of the human experience. And We sometimes say, I think you wrote about this in our book, um, people are unique, but feelings are not unique. And when you have that feeling that you are still seen, but there is a universality around what you're feeling, it's, it's comforting, isn't it? I also find so it comforting, comforting when it's when it's repackaged in a different mm. way. So it's not exactly how it is. It is my feeling, but it's used somehow. So it doesn't re-traumatise you. So it validates not, you. It, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's really because my husband doesn't fly planes, which I'm extremely relieved about now. <laughs> but but you know what I mean? I understand that that would that exactly as soon as you said it, Annabelle, that to love someone is to be frightened that they will fall out of the sky. Oof, okay. Oh, I feel very strange now. Let's let's go <laughs> to your next book, Daisy. Uh, well, what was it called, the Ampatcha book? It is called These Precious Days. These Precious Days. Excellent. I will write everything out in the show notes. Um, I thought about this because, Annabelle, hearing you talking about your party experience, I was like, oh yes, this is something people need. Books for when you'd love to spend time with friends, but you don't have the energy for your actual friends. Oh, Yes. There's a book I loved that came out this year, Asking for a Friend, by Andy Osho. Andy Osho is a comedian and a writer and an actor, and she just writes with such energy. And it's about three women, and they're all at different points in their lives and different stages of singledom, and they just want to do some old-fashioned dating. It's a really jolly, old-school romantic comedy. It feels really fresh and contemporary and fun, but she is someone who knows how to entertain a reader and it's a book that you really just skip through and binge and it's so nice and you feel part of the gang again she's so inclusive and it's only afterwards do you think oh that was a really really fun rom-com and I loved it but it's really stayed with me and it's prompted me to think some really profound things oh, about I love that friendship and tenderness and it's really jolly and it's a good companion piece for and I know this is not a book that I need to recommend to everyone because everyone's read it but that's why sometimes I reread Everything I Know About Love by Jolly Alderton because again it's that the friends in the book and she's having such a jolly time and you know her brilliant roaring 20s and I don't want to take taxis from someone go from like Exeter to London or something or the chaos of it and it's just this the most fun and no hangovers and again it's that gorgeous feeling oh i remember taking a cab from cambridge to ipswich once to go and see a boy oh what was it worth it kind of it was, it was never worth it yeah. in those days no, it hurts yeah. And, actually um, yeah it's none of my business this might be this might be last week for all i know but just assuming this was a time pre-uber and when you had to pay your taxi driver in cash so you had yes. to plan to have your like sheath of tenors 
yes. to pay the driver with at the end. And then and then nothing for the rest of the month because no one no, could afford to do that. that. Was, you, you were, were done, right. exactly. Well, that was it. Even now, my experience... Can I just say that Emily's looking like swivel-eyed with horror and self-loathing at the memory? Oh. Something has just triggered you. Yeah, it's really... I just suddenly, when you said the, the Exeter cab, I just, you yeah, know, those things that you used to do for love. There's a meme going around at the moment. Is it a meme or a gif on Insta? Which is a woman, and the and and the and the caption is you know me on my way to a frat party or something. She's yeah. clearly an American student, and she's in a driving blizzard, in a mini skirt and high heels, trying to get there. And you just know because you've been there. She's not trying to get there to you know have a glass of wine with her girlfriends. She's trying to get there for a boy. Yeah, and it's sort of heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. twisting herself out of shape. Dangerous, hypothermic. For some, you know, thankless boy. Oh, God. Exactly. I remember that. I remember being in York. Walk of shame on, like, strappy gold sandals. No tights, no socks, no nothing. In the snow. Feeling all of this. I felt like Kathy come home. <laughs> yeah. I remember walking home um, at two in the morning in the snow at university. Barefoot. You know, and I, and I couldn't feel anything. And that was a metaphor for the for, state that I was everything. in. Yeah. I was just like a shadow. I just... I got to the point, I'd been pulverised to the point where I couldn't, I could no longer feel anything. But <laughs> these books are not there to remind us of those. They're there <laughs> to remind us of, 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 you know, to look back also with a kind of lovely golden nostalgia. I wonder whether, is there a book for when you, you feel nothing and feel everything? I should have thought about that. But here's a book that's coming out um, on the 10th of March and it's a book for when you need love in your life and it's just so astonishingly tender and beautiful. It's here again now by Ogachukwi Nzelu and it's a story about two men in their late 30s. They're both gay, they're both actors. One is phenomenally successful and about to become even more so. Hasn't really happened to the other one. Um, they're sort of all both in love with each other and they slept together, but it's never quite lined up and it's always at inconvenient times. The successful one has an alcoholic father who he's desperately worried about and he's moved in with them because they're sort of living as housemates, flatmates. And not to give too much away, but it's, you know, tender and erotic and gorgeous, but it's also, it's not just about romantic love, it's about that connection between... Men, and I know so many books, you know, we think of sort of the blustery, like, you know, white dudes saying, oh, the state of man. And actually, this is really about vulnerability and intimacy and surprising connection. And it wasn't what I was expecting at all. And it truly took my breath away. And it's not overwritten. It's really, really elegant. And it's really like, readable. Is a, it sounds horrible, but it's the highest compliment I can yes. pay anything. It's awful that readable... It sounds cheap, like yeah. comfortable sounds ugly. Yes. You know, because readable is exactly what why they wouldn't you should want all something be. That was readable and also why wouldn't you want something and that was quite, comfortable? Honestly, yeah. I'm quite surprised by the things that probably, you know, would be dismissed as readable and they're not readable at all. I mean, yeah. I remember talking of readable, but also something, you know, and, and about male relationships with themselves and with the universe. <laughs> and I still remember the the, the, the the trauma and the wonder and the horror of a little life. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking yeah. when you started talking, because She's got another book out, hasn't she? I know, and I don't know if I dare. I don't know if I dare either. I've never even read A Little Life, which I'm ashamed of. I've just borrowed a friend's copy. And again, I think it's because it felt so big and so daunting and so terrifying. But it's interesting what you said about intimacy, about all the different kinds of love. And I think connecting, reconnecting after the sort of pandemic and after what we've been through in the last couple of years, reconnecting with intimacy is probably Mm. really important because... 
I think that the idea that we've all been in such close proximity with people or 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 not is a kind of false kind of intimacy. Yes. And we need to re-kick that back where we can be intimate with people in a way that isn't... Well, Because we feel so disconnected from yes. that, disenfranchised by that. And I think people are... are lo- it's that awful sort of conundrum where you're longing for intimacy and you're terrified of intimacy. Mm. And that doesn't, that doesn't really get you anywhere. Yes, you've either been stuck very close to people or very far away from people. Exactly. Or and, both. And also we all have the strange unprecedented times line that we can roll out mm. for everyone it's like how are you well obviously you know so it's just the the granular detail that we always you know try to to, to unpack but it this sounds great okay good but tick 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 another book this is an advertisement from better help therapy online now you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest the tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big overwhelming worries that can flood our nights Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash midult. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. That I have read and reread so many times and I just finished reading it again because I couldn't sleep and I love her so passionately and she's so brilliant. Um, the Other Side of the Story by Marion Keyes. New Marion Keyes, again, Rachel, is excellent. Um, but what I love so much about The Other Side of the Story is the setup and it feels, it's really charming and really addictive and it's got three protagonists there is um Gemma sort of very sassy cool works in Dublin in events has a lot of life going on it's really funny and fun and then her dad leaves her mum and they're in her 60s and Gemma's got to step in and look after her and everything sort of falls apart and Gemma is nursing a low-level bitterness against Lily who stole her boyfriend (laughs) Anton there in London and Gemma's always dreamed of being a writer and never quite made it. Lily is also just put a book out to add insult to injury but Lily is not who Gemma thinks she is and she is heartbroken and torn apart by the circumstances of how sort of her happy life came about and she doesn't really have any confidence and Gemma's looking from afar thinking oh if only and actually Lily has this sort of real you know ups and downs and a difficult and traumatic time and even the lovely things that happen to her are quite tricky so her book is this sort of you know it's sold for no money and no one's really paying any attention and then it becomes this huge word of mouth hit and it's dismissed by all the critics as like fluff and she can't really enjoy the success but every critical review just destroys her and their agent Jojo is in the middle of it all and Jojo is again this really cool clever tender fun smart woman who 
you really you, know, you want to be her but she is having an affair with her boss and what it does so brilliantly is it check all of the ways that you judge a person all the ways you think I'd never do that how could they it's a book about empathy it really is a book about understanding and reading between the lines and loving each other or understanding each other better and I think that's prescribed reading post-pandemic we just don't know what we're going through and I know we know that superficially but this book makes me really understand it on a cellular level I think we I, I agree none of us know what we're going through or how to be or but I think it's probably that the way that she looks at empathy and judgment I think maybe that's what makes Marion Keyes's books date so well mm. where many other books of that kind fall into irrelevance hers sort of stay sharp and I've never I've never really understood why before. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I reread Rachel's right. Holiday when it was re-released. And um, when I read it the first time 25 years ago, it's the book that made me realise that I was an addict. But I didn't do anything about it for nine years. But always in the back of my mind, the scenarios that she wrote in the Rachel's denials of everything. And I mean, it, it was such a huge life-changing book for me. And I reread it thinking, I was really nervous about looking at it again. Because, you know, when something has a big impact, but also when it feels very much from that time, you don't want to. But actually, it was as beautifully empathetic and understanding and Rachel's and her family and the characters and everyone felt so brilliant. And I haven't read R Rachel again. Is it again Rachel or Rachel again? I think it's again Rachel. Again Rachel. And, and I must. I had such trepidation because I read Rachel's Holiday every year. I think I've talked about it on this podcast <laughs> before. And it really was that kind of this is my friend and she's changed and in my head she hasn't changed and I feel like we're very close but you know sometimes you have that with real friends don't you where you're like you're my best mate and then you can't recreate old times but I it think, was a I think pleasure. That, I think that I think that as humans we often really struggle with the people that we love changing yes. with our friends changing you know no no, no I had you pegged as this this is yes. what you represented in my life this is who you're meant to be it's like those awful maths things isn't it? like ratio that thing where you scale people up and down and you sort of know where you are in relation <laughs> to other people and then you do feel it and that's where I struggle the most I think with envy and jealousy and comparison which I'm often torn up by and it's very rarely that I ever think that I resent anyone else's success. I'm like, I should have that and they shouldn't. It's much more, oh, they've shot up and that must mean I've, I've shot down. I'm not where I thought I was. I'm not where I felt comfortable. But I think there's sometimes, you know, particularly with female writers, there's a common theme in the writers that we're talking about and it is generosity. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, that's what we turn to for solace and also for, for laughs and for, you know, all sorts of stimulation. It's just, you know, it's just, I'm not, I don't want to read mean stuff. No. It can have very troubling, traumatic subject matter, but just not, I just doesn't, if it comes from a place of mean, then I, I then, then it's not for me. So sometimes I think about this when I was a teenager and reading glossy magazines and dreaming of that world and wanting to be, I did feel like the magazine tone, it was quite cruel and quite sneery and quite sort of bullying and hectoring. And there was this sort of sense that kind of, if you're one of us, if you're in the cool group, you, you bully and you sneer. And something, a really terrible habit I adore, um, and I don't go out of my way to do this, but I love, really love, sort of channel 5e talking head pop culture documentaries where the documentary is now older than the thing it's making the documentary about so you see it's what everyone thought about madonna in the year 2000 yes and i agree and when i see those there's a madonna one in particular and i'm 
stunned at how rude and cruel and sneery and mean people are about Madonna and the things they said about her in the name of the cheap laugh. And I felt that way about the Britney documentary, that we were so complicit. Oh I mean, I worked God, in magazines were. too, but, you know, and I remember all of the outfits, for example, that she wore that were sort of... And all the headlines. And all the headlines. Terrible mother, lost the plot. But, you know, when, when she wore that sort of skirt, that, that mini skirt, and I remember thinking, Brittany, that skirt is too short. It's this terrible kind of, like, automatic reflex judgment, which I would not make now. I remember, the, you know, the head shaving and yeah. seeing all the headlines and reading Perez Hilton, and I think I was at this magazine then, and that, oh, she's lost the plot. Yeah. And not... I was. I had this sort of this total failure of empathy, and now all I can think of is, what was her life like? What kind of pressures were on her? No, like it's just astonishing. I think that's why we all got so behind the free Britney thing. Is partly to kind of, you know, assuage our guilt. Yes, Uh, having relished the the unraveling. Yeah, it's really it's a really toxic thing. So actually, speaking of books about magazines, speaking of magazine (laughs) life. (laughs) Uh, do you have Learning anything you segue. need to tell us? <laughs> about uh, another sensational book that's about to come out. I do. I have written a book called Careering, and it has two perspectives, two different characters. We meet Imogen, who's 26, going on 27. Harry, who is 48. Imogen is an eternal intern who's finally got her dream job working on this sexy women's startup website, The No. Harry is the editor of the glossy magazine, Panache. She's an industry legend. She's not got her dream job, which she thought she was going to be made the editor-in-chief of Panache. She has been sidelined. And so Imogen is wide-eyed and giddy to be in the building. Harry feels shame. Harry feels like she's been demoted. But together, they have got to make it work. And they've got to move the no from strength to strength. And they do, against all odds, until it becomes clear they have been set up to fail and they don't know why everything is unravelling and they have to work out a way of working together. And I kind of, I think about, you know, buddy movies I love and I really wanted it to have that buddy movie feel. It's a platonic love story. Imogen and Harry are both in love with their careers and their work. It will never love them back and they're sort of falling for each other. And I've really wanted to capture that sense as well that I've had as a young desperate to please and impress employee, obsessing about my boss, thinking, she hates me, she's not said well done, she's so mean to me, she must be thinking about how rubbish I am all the time. And then you've got Harry going like, I have nine million things to worry about that aren't you, please just shut up and get on, get with, on it. with it. I Honestly, it's such a brilliant, brilliant read, readable. <laughs> but, I mean, but, but also so funny, and Daisy's so funny. So funny. Yeah. But it's so good about that tipping point when magazines went wrong, you know, when magazines stopped mattering in the way that they had Mm. so much for, you know, generations prior to that. Mm. And it was very weird being, the idea of being stuck in your, your, or or, or entering your dream career just as that career was no longer viable in the same way. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's, and it's sexy. Don't worry, there's loads of sex in it. I know Daisy writes really well about sex. Oh, thank you, guys. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a totally brilliant. Careering out on the 10th of March. On the 10th of March. There we go. Careering by Daisy Buchanan. Okay. It'll be your best friend, basically, won't it, this book? Yeah. yeah. 
But what if you don't have time to read? Well, in that case, I would recommend a book called 4,000 Hours by Oliver Berkman, which I'm listening to as an audio book. And to be honest, it's the kind of book that normally would pass me by and I'd hear it mentioned in intellectual circles and think, yeah, sure, it's very interesting. I'll get to it one day. I know yes. I will. And then my pal Anna said, it's so good. And she recommended the audio book, which is a really nice way to listen to it. And Oliver Burtman talks about being a recovering productivity addict and trying to master time and never feeling like he has enough time. And he's taking time apart as a philosophical construct and saying, this is meaningless. We're never, ever, ever going to do it all. This is why we feel like we can. It's hugely comforting. Um, and it feels really, really timely as well, because I think that one thing we are all figuring out over the last couple of years is it's been the longest shortest time we don't know where we are we keep punishing ourselves we just think we can do more and try harder and even the other day I was feeling so wound up and I was having all these utterly self-loathing thoughts like why can't I I've got this deadline and I've got to write this and why can't I do it and what if I don't and everyone's going to hate me and everyone's going to be so angry and what's wrong with me and why can't I just force myself into it and I'm like I'm really tired mm. I am really tired and it's half past four and I've done lots of things today I am going to lie on my sofa and I'm going to put a blanket over my head and I'm going to listen to lingo <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is when people say if you're tired give yourself a break my worry is that I will lie down on the sofa with a blanket over my head and never stand <laughs> up again exactly the fear is stopping mm. yes. means Stopping forever. Yes. It doesn't just mean stop yes. for 10 minutes yes. and, and catch your breath. It means the end. <laughs> yes. It's a terrible thing. I completely agree. And I feel like I can never let myself really enjoy the rest. And I'm desperate for someone, ideally God, to come from the sky and say, you work really hard. You're a really good girl and you've done all of your things oh and you don't have to do any more things. Daisy, I totally understand we're all still looking for that fucking medal yes. from someone that says, well done you. You've done brilliantly. Surely you can put this heavy load down for a yes. bit. All and the things. Yeah. Doing all the things. I know, and I, what you said about it being the longest, shortest time, it's so true, time has become... I mean, I think that's another reason why we're all so freaked out, is not least because of the way that... The, the fact that it's been so dark and it's beginning to get light, but we have no sense of how long days are supposed to last because we try to all keep months, it so much. Years. Mm. Yes. And we, also how much we're meant to be pack into those yeah. hours, mm. days, months and years. Exactly, and how how we managed to like eke out so many different spaces out because of the way that things worked. Mm. But it meant that now, do we still do the same thing? I do know, we go back I feel, to the structure? I feel stuck between, you know, desperately wanting to, um, you know, nail down my purpose yes. and craving a life with no purpose. Yes. Which is basically on the sofa, preferably a beach <laughs> with a blanket, preferably a martini. <laughs> I love that. Do you think you could Until do, the end. Do you think you could do beach and weighted blanket at the same time? I'm very, very into my weighted blanket. <laughs> that might be a million dollar idea, the summer weighted blanket, the beach weighted blanket Babylon. Yes, exactly. That you can sort of you can sort of tan safely through. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine? <gasps> yeah, that wouldn't give you that would be amazing, you wouldn't are it? Going to be squillionaires. <laughs> oh my god. There exactly. And then what will I do with my squillions? Will I use them to hone my purpose or will I just stay on the beach? I don't Ooh. know. I'll stay on the beach. What's next? Dave? Yes, exactly. What well, will we be reading this is coming out later this year, and I loved it so, so, so much. And it is a really good book about that panic, doing all the things, refusing to do all the things. The movement by Aisha Malik. Um, I love Aisha. She's one of my favourite writers. She reminds me of like early Jonathan Coe, and she writes about women, and she writes 
really, really sharp, funny satire. She's incredibly smart. The movement is about a young-ish writer. Uh, she's an Asian woman. She's written a few books and she's just tipped over from going, being ignored as a brown woman to being lauded and fated. And what's your opinion on being Asian and having parents or being Asian and living in London? And she's really, really, really fed up and she is just about to win the most prestigious literary prize going. And she turns up and she hands over a statement to say, I'm done. I can't do it. I cannot talk about anything anymore. I'm not talking. I'm going silent. Thanks, everyone. P.S. I won't be writing any comments about this. <laughs> P.S. And then she ends up sparking this global movement called non-verbalism. And the, everything has to be accommodated. Like coffee shops, you queue differently depending on whether you're verbal or non-verbal. And the book, again, it's about several different women and how that affects their lives and whether they join in or not. There's a woman called Grace. She's a single mother father of her child's just sort of buggered off and doesn't want to know her son won't speak and she eventually decides to go non-verbal and he doesn't talk but he becomes much happier and more relaxed and more communicative and then his father who's never shown an interest decides he wants the son in his life and it's not fair to raise him in a non-verbal household and there's a massive sort of court case but again the satire is so smart it's such a genius idea and it's really clever but it takes you with it it's not so clever you think oh that's good it really does feel so immersive and honestly after reading it and I know we're all talking and I've been talking a lot but <laughs> I did really want to go non-verbal it's interesting because there was that horrifying book about women not being allowed to speak more than I, 140 characters or something more than 100 words a day I think 150 yeah. words a day and they wore a cuff that burnt them if they went over their word lands. It was in that space of books which were... Like The Power. But it yes. wasn't called The Power. No. Vox. Vox, I think it was called. And it was horrifying. It was really, really horrifying. And I, and, and I love how this has turned that idea on its head of the impression of silence to the oppression of noise. Mm. Like maybe we could choose just to stop justifying ourselves and extrapolating on everything and just... Then the internet would die. No, because it's written. Oh, I see. No, but it isn't. But isn't it all about having someone having an opinion? In the book, it? you can choose to be. Oh, God, they call lettered nonverbals will okay. write but not speak. <laughs> but that's the thing there because the lots of the the furore against it and the agitation and the debate is based around the fact that you know women have you know you're silencing women. You're a, a woman and you're going silent. And women have like fought for the right to speak for so long. But it is yeah that oppression of having to be and say and participate. Yes, and particularly when you're talking about one particular thing and then you're suddenly a poster girl. Mm. And so you, you sort of almost can't choose about what you talk about because you're always asked about the same thing. I watched a really, really great, relatively new Tina Turner documentary a couple of months ago. And it was about the fact that she had shared her story about this horrific domestic violence that she had, you know, lived through. And she thought the more she talked about it, the less people would ask about yes. it. She would somehow, their hunger would be sated. And that didn't happen. And so every day she was re-traumatised because even though she was, at 50, the biggest rock star in the world, mm. that's all people wanted to hear about. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, it was, and that became an, another horrific ordeal. Mm. It's fascinating, isn't it? I really, really so I enjoyed that documentary. It's the wrong word but it is gripping and compelling and I think it's, it's really interesting I think to watch it as a sort of companion piece to the Britain documentary about the weirdness of what we expect about women and the way we position women and the 
pressure and that's all, that you can do one thing and one thing only. Yeah, yes. and all this stuff was happening to Britney. Was it in like the noughties? Well, I think so. It will have been. And, you know, we talk often about, you know, being teenagers in the 90s mm. and really believing that <clears throat> the, 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 ba- the battle of feminism was mm. won and we were going to have it all and it was all fine and being a woman wasn't problematic. And I mean, how wrong we were. Yeah. And finally, if you have listened to this list and thought, well, that's all well and good, but I've not read a book for some time, here is a book, Cheat Break, A Reading Drought, Dear Reader by Cathy Rensenbrink. Kathy is one of the best, kindest, wisest writers and people I have ever come across. Dear Reader is her memoir of reading. A few years ago, her first book, The Last Act of Love, um, about what happened when her brother was in a really awful accident when he was 15. And Kathy was a little bit younger. And it was years of waiting and seeing whether or not they should turn off the life support machine. Kathy talked about how reading got her through that and got her through every other bit of her life she's been a bookseller and what's brilliant about Kathy as well is her father only learned to read relatively recently she does lots of work around literacy and goes mm. into prisons and she really deliberately writes books for readers of all levels and all sort of stages of confidence and that means she has this knack and this voice and everything is really compelling she really draws you in she doesn't lose you everything again digestible that sounds like such an awful readable but it's such a skill she writes for you she writes to bring the reader along with her and I picked her I got sent a proof and I thought oh I'll read a chapter or two of Kathy's book and all of a sudden I looked up and it's like one of those oh it's gone dark and I finished it and I loved it and and I've given that this book as a gift to so many people and they've all said exactly the same thing. They thought, oh, well, I'll read the chapter and then just found themselves immersed. And she's just such a lovely person to spend time with in, in book form and in real life. And it really is reinforcing this idea that books are for us. If anyone makes you feel terrible about what you're reading, don't be friends with them. Anyone who's like, oh, what are you reading? Other than this, which is lovely. But if people... No one even really wants you to say, oh, I'm reading the new, um, I can't think of anything particularly grand to say here. Because we've or deleted all those I'm catchy, Or I'm recapping all my Dostoevsky. Yes. Or, you know, or some Nietzsche. Just I, exactly. no or I'm reading Proust in the original again people, or whatever. If people ask you and they want to be a dick and shelf, they're just waiting for the gap so they can say, well, I'm reading FNAF Lujo by which is very good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what this podcast is about. This podcast has been about, from our friend Dr. Daisy, generosity, just like all the books that she's recommended. So we're going to be, I mean, I, I want to go and get my Kindle right now. I just load it the hell up. Exactly. Um, we will put the books on, on the show notes. And all that we have to say is thank you so much for coming yeah, to thanks, see us. Daisy. And all we have to say to you is thank you for listening to us by Careering by Daisy Buchanan when it comes out in March. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Sleep soundly with Oto CBD Sleep Drops. And there's 20% off for listeners with the code MIDULT20 at otocbd.com. Oh, 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 o